mystery tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 43rd episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today we're going to Egypt, the Valley of the Kings. We're going to have a lot of fun sharing the curses, the hauntings, and the history of this big area that can be found in Egypt and draws all kinds of tourists. And whenever we talk about the Valley of the Kings and pyramids and crypts and things like that when it comes to pharaohs, I always think of some of my most favorite movies out there, the Universal Monster Movies, The Mummy. Oh, yeah, you love the old classic monster movies, but you liked the recent Mummy as well, correct? Yeah, those are all good, too. But she likes classic. I'm not a big fan of CGI. I mean, I like it when you... I, I liked when they used to have all the little models that they would move and stop motion. And, you know, when it came to the mummy, Lon Chaney Jr. was the guy who did the mummy. And he did a lot of his own makeup and followed in the footsteps of his father who did the same thing. And the way they did some of the mummy makeup, it, I think they had to use like cotton and to kind of give his skin that look. And it just took hours. And then it took hours to take it off, too. And this was before they had a lot of the safe stuff that they use. <laughs> so I'm surprised he had any skin left with all of the different parts, you know, because he also was the wolf man. And Right. Well, him and his dad were both legends. If you're talking about the old horror movies, you know, they just, they, they did their makeup, they did the acting, they were just um, second to none with starting all of that. Exactly. So whenever I think about this kind of stuff, that's what I think about. If you guys want to know more about the show, you can head over to our website, historygoesbump.com. It's got everything you could possibly want to know about the show where to listen to us, where to find us on social media, how to get a hold of us. And also, if you would like to donate to the show, and we do appreciate your donations, it helps to keep the show going and pays for a lot of our overhead. Because, of course, it's not free for us to do this. So at this point, we're paying to do the show. We'd sure love to have it at least paying for itself. Yeah, Denise? So for just a cup of coffee a week <laughs> to the show, we could really keep it going. Anyway, you can also reach us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Okay, and also don't forget, in just less than three weeks, we are going to be hitting the road, so we would love to have as many from our Spooktacular crew and listenership come with us. Uh, make sure you are on our mailing list in order to get the updates of what we're going to be doing, because we're going to be doing many shows along along the way. We'll be gone for nine nights, so uh, be sure to do that, because we would love to have you on the road with us. One of the things that's kind of causing us to pull our hair out is the same problem we've been having here in Florida. For people who run ghost tours, make your ghost tours accessible to the public. I, I honestly don't know how many of these companies are running, Denise. We have left phone messages for people and get no phone calls back. One of the websites, I believe it's Louisville Ghost Tours. You go on there to try to schedule a tour, and there are no Louisville tours up there. It's just there's like Nashville and a couple other places, and they're like, well, it's run through the Nashville ghost tour. So you order it through that. But I'm like, um, I'm not paying money and ordering something that's a Nashville ghost tour unless I know for sure <laughs> it's, it's going to be, be Louisville. Because <laughs> that's a whole different state. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, 
I don't know. I'm like, if, if you're going to do this, make it user-friendly. Otherwise, I don't know how they stay in business. There are some ghost tours that we've done here in Florida that are so professionally run. It's amazing. And then there's others where I'm like, do they exist? Are they running? What's going on? Well, as, as our listeners well know, if you've been following the show, is that's why our meetup ended up getting canceled because we couldn't get a call back. We didn't know if the tour was running trying to get on a ghost tour here in Florida to go out. So again, um, if you do run a tour, we, we'd love to come. We'd love to support you, but make sure that you get back to the people who are reaching out to you. Absolutely. It definitely doesn't make you look good because we're here to help promote you. And if you're not giving customer service, I'm certainly not going to tell people, yeah, you want to go with them. Hopefully we are trying like mad. Right now we haven't been able to get any of the ghost tours scheduled because we haven't gotten any callbacks or anything back. So we're definitely going to be doing something, even if it's us doing it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we so. might just grab a couple books and say, hey, come meet <laughs> us for coffee and we'll go out and find these places on our own. And I know one stop that we're definitely making is to Waverly. So if oh. you guys want to know about that, we we will be stopping at Waverly Sanitarium. Of course, that one I did find a night tour, and Diane said, heck no, she was <laughs> not going into Waverly or even near it at night. So, Well, I think their night tours are investigations. So I was like, I don't know if we want to get ourselves in the middle of that. Um, the one I found was a tour, but they have no lights, no bathrooms, no nothing. It did sound pretty creepy. Yeah, no bathroom. That is creepy for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, go to the loo. That's right. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and get this show started? If you would like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump. Or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation. Click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com. The people of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, have claimed for over 50 years now that their small community is plagued by the activity of a bird-like humanoid creature that has come to be known as the Mothman. The first sightings of Mothman came in November of 1966. A group of gravediggers claimed that they were buzzed by a man-sized creature that flew in low over the trees and then flew over them. A couple days later, two couples reported seeing a large man-sized creature flying in a park area they were driving through at night. When the headlights from the car caught the creature, they say they saw that the Mothman had glowing red eyes. Several other people from Point Pleasant claimed to have seen the flying creature with red eyes over the next several weeks. The following year, the Silver Bridge collapsed. Forty-six people were killed. Many believed that the Mothman either caused the accident or that it was warning them about the coming tragedy. The legend of Mothman was formulated around this event, and it is now thought to be a portent of tragedy. The Mothman has been sighted in other areas as well, including Russia before the Chernobyl disaster. Some people believe the Mothman sightings have been a hoax or mass hysteria. John Kill wrote The Mothman Prophecies in 1975 and it later was made into a 2002 movie starring Richard Gere. The Mothman may be real or it may just be legend, but either way, it certainly is odd. Out the lights. The party's just getting started. This day in history. 
On this date, April 29, in 1882, the Elektromote began its run in Germany. The Elektromote was the precursor to the trolleybus. It was a converted four-wheel Landau carriage. An electric motor was used to power the chain drive that was attached to the rear wheels. The electric motor was powered by a cable that was attached to an overhead line. Dr. Ernst Werner von Siemens was the inventor, and he ran the traveling vehicle on a 591-yard trail track starting at Helensee Railway Station in a suburb of Berlin, Germany. The line ran to Straub No. 5, today's Joachim Friedrich Straub, and Straub No. 13, today's Johann George Straub, crossing the upper Curvenston Dam at former Curvenston Platz. The Electromote only ran until June 13, 1882, and the track was dismantled. The run was basically an experiment and considered successful. Other similar vehicles were constructed and tested in America and Europe. The first trolley bus that was used to publicly move people also originated in Berlin in 1901. Max Schiemann developed that trolley bus, and although it only ran until 1904, the system he invented became the standard trolley bus current collection system. This is Christopher. And this is Joe. From the Curioso Podcast. And here at the Curioso, when we want to listen to ghost tours for the theater of the mind, we listen to the History Goes Bump Podcast. Egypt is a land of ancient treasures and wonders. Pharaohs were honored in death with immense public monuments that we know as pyramids. The Old Kingdom of Egypt built monuments in Giza and the Nile Delta. The New Kingdom pharaohs of Egypt wanted to be buried closer to their dynastic roots, and they had their crypts built in the hills of Luxor. This area became known as the Valley of the Kings. The Valley of the Kings would end up housing the remains of at least 60 Egyptian nobles. Pharaohs from King Tut to Ramses II have tombs here. There are more than tombs here, though. There are tales of curses and hauntings in the Valley of the Kings. Luxor, Egypt is the site of the ancient Egyptian city of Thebes. It is located in upper southern Egypt. Luxor is considered the world's largest open-air museum and houses the necropolis, the temple complexes of Luxor and Karnak, the Valley of the Queens, and the Valley of the Kings. Luxor is the Arabic word for the palaces. Thebes was the capital of Egypt during the New Kingdom, and considered the home of the god Amun-Ra. From the 18th dynasty to the 20th dynasty, Thebes prospered and became very powerful politically and militarily. The city faded during the late period and later fell into ruins. The Valley of the Kings is also known as Biban el molek which means doorway or gateway of the kings. The valley has two branches, an eastern and a western branch. The eastern branch is called Taserat, which means the great place, the royal tombs are located in this eastern branch. The western branch is larger, but only contains a few tombs. The pharaohs of the New Kingdom chose the valley as their final resting places. The New Kingdom began with the 18th dynasty, and the first pharaoh of that time period was Amos. He was the last pharaoh to be buried in a pyramid. The location of the pharaoh's tombs changed with the New Kingdom, and pyramids were no longer built. Instead, crypts were dug into the limestone hills. The tombs are all very similar. They consist of three corridors, an antechamber, and a sunken sarcophagus chamber. 
When a new pharaoh began his reign, construction on his tomb began. The construction usually lasted six years. The interior of the tombs are inscribed with words from the Book of the Gates, the Book of the Underworld, and the Book of the Dead. I'd be a little bit nervous when they start, hey, you're king? Okay, we're going to build your tomb. No kidding. It's like we're starting the tomb now. But you know, back in ancient times, that's what they did is that they were, I don't know, instead of fearing that, I guess they wanted the most magnificent tomb for whenever they went. And some of these pharaohs went for some very elaborate types of monuments built for themselves. I'm trying to think of the one, Levi probably knows this off the top of his head since he likes Egyptology and stuff and suggested uh, somewhere in Egypt for our show. There is a monument that has four sitting figures and they're huge. And a couple of them are missing like their head or something now. I can't remember what, what it's called, but I was watching a History Channel program about it a few months ago and I never knew they actually had painted it as well. It, it always boggles my mind that they were able to build these huge things anyway. But then the fact that they painted them as well. I know. It's just, well, when you look back at ancient times, you know, and I often wonder, this is kind of morbid, but hey, this is a ghost tour show. I often wonder, which is what they're doing, how many of the people that were building it ended up kind of being crushed and kind of put inside <laughs> it. So like, you know, they might be a part of the whole thing now. Well, and as we'll get into talking about what was put inside of these chambers and such, I don't know that people were always necessarily dead when they were put in there. I mean, I know they had servants that were buried with them and stuff, so they'd have somebody for the afterlife. And you often wonder, were they dead before they were put in there? And did they volunteer for that? And like, now, was it an honor to go and be buried alive to go with your pharaoh? Or Yeah, and maybe it was. There are theories out there how all this got built, of course. Well, I've heard one that it was possibly aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Ancient aliens sure loves to go that route, don't they? <laughs> Phone home. Of course, the strange thing is when they do look at some of the hieroglyphics, they do have hieroglyphics that look like flying spaceships. And of course, there was no flying machines back then. So where would they ever even get that idea? Right. So you never know. I mean, I never say never to anything that might be out there because there's so many things that our our minds can't even begin to comprehend. Well, and as people know, I get into that fringe Christianity type stuff. So I wonder sometimes if it wasn't angelic beings that are flying around in something or whatever they use to get around if they interpret it as UFOs or something. It does make you wonder if they did help them to build it. Of course, they did have a lot of slave labor and stuff too. And I mean, this is what the people did. So... Because I was like, wow, they could do that in six years? Takes years and years and years here to build a, a skyscraper and yeah. stuff. So, Well, what, from what I understand of ancient times, too, that's why I wonder how many bodies might be in there accidentally is because if somebody fell down, you just kept working and just trampled right over Roll them. Roll them over. You know, though, even thinking, because I read something before, it was it was not from the Egypt, uh, Egypt time, but they were building a temple, and in all the four corner posts they threw a human sacrifice to the gods for the temple too that was like sacrificial so that could happen there as well so who knows hmm. when a pharaoh or other noble died they were mummified after a formal announcement the preparations took three months the mummification process took longer because the body was placed in natron for 70 days mummification was used as a way to preserve the body so that it could reanimate in the afterlife the burial chambers were stocked with elaborate preparations that included treasures, furniture, clothes, food, wine, beer, and jewelry. Pets were buried with their owners as well. Sixty-two of these tombs were discovered before 1922. 
The most recent tomb was discovered in 2005. Most of these tombs were robbed well before they were officially discovered. When Greek writer Diodorus Siculus visited the Valley of the Kings in 60 BC, he wrote, quote, We found nothing there except the results of pillage and destruction. End quote. Today, people can visit these tombs that are opened on a rotation. Eleven of the crypts are lit by electric lighting. The really sad thing about these grave robbers is that a lot of them were the people who had actually built them. So it would be like after the king passed away, hey, let's go on in. We know what goodies we put in there. So there wasn't a lot of stuff left. And then, of course, a lot of these people who discovered these tombs, what's your definition of looting? (laughs) Taking it out and taking it to a museum in Britain? Is that looting? (laughs) Exactly. You know, they... Sometimes we like to call something one thing when it's actually another thing. Yeah, I mean, I understand wanting to preserve stuff. Obviously, the stuff preserved itself underground for centuries. So I don't know how you moving it to a museum helps that. And we found this when we were over in Greece. Mm-hmm. They had to make imitations of some of the stuff because it had been taken to Britain. And they kept saying it over and over. This is in this museum in Britain. This is in this museum in Britain because they took all the stuff away from Greece And I'm like, guys, putting it in a museum does not necessarily make that that you've done a good thing. So it's and the other thing I want to talk about that natron is like a salt. So that was to kind of help dehydrate the body. It was kind of a liquid that they would put in there. And that was the main process of mummification. And the most recent tomb that they found in 2005, they're not sure who it belongs to yet. So they just kind of named it for whatever spot location it's in. They Mm. haven't given it a a tomb name because they don't know whose it is yet. If it ever calms down in Egypt, I certainly would like to visit some of these places. Oh, I would love to. Or maybe we just make that one of our final trips just in case. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to make our own Death Wish movie. (laughs) We're going to Egypt. (laughs) We're going to Egypt because we've already seen the other places in the world. And now if we end up dead, then we're not going to miss out on the other places. Are you a Christian? Ah! That will be live on radio as well. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, then we could say we haunt the Valley of the Kings. The pharaohs who were buried in the valley included Tutankhamun, Ramses I through Ramses VII, 9th and 11th, Amenhotep II and IV, and Seti I. Amenhotep IV is better known as Akhenaten. He ruled for 17 years during the 18th dynasty. He built the city of Armana for the Aten, and Aten was the uh, god that he worshipped, and he kind of changed some stuff when it came to worshipping gods and made that the key god that everybody was supposed to worship. His queen was Nefertiti, and his son was Tutankhamun. He gave Queen Nefertiti unusual stature, and she reigned with him almost as an equal, which is depicted in the artwork from the time. Akhenaten died during his 17th year of rule, and his son, Smek, boy, this one is hard, Smekkari? I think is how you say it, became pharaoh. This lasted for only a year, and he was succeeded by a female pharaoh, Nefer Neferuaten, who ruled for two years. Try to say that five times fast. Well, and the thing that we do want, I think most of our listeners know, is we go out and research these places. We are not historians. We are not, by any stretch of the imagination, the experts. We just go find it. So if our pronunciation slaughters it, we do apologize. We're just trying to bring you the facts as we find them. She only ruled for two years. King Tut then became king and was known as the Boy King. This time period is very murky in the historical logs because the Egyptians were secretive about their rulers. And God, I wrote it again, so... Nefer Neferuaten? 
There, Denise said it. We're going to go with that. Was not given a royal burial, and she's not mentioned a whole lot. They did say a little bit here and there about a female pharaoh and mentioned her name, but it was almost like they tried to hide her. I don't know what what was going on there, and I certainly don't know why they ruled for such a short period of time. But there is some rumors and debates among scholars that Akhenaten had some of his daughters were his queens as well. So I don't know if maybe there were some issues around that. The Ramses family of pharaohs took reign and moved the capital to Memphis. Their time of rule is when the Jews were enslaved in Egypt. Ramses I was the first king of the 19th dynasty. He was a military commander, and when he died, he was buried in the valley until his tomb was vandalized. He was moved to Deir el-Bari. Ramses VI has the largest tomb in the valley, and it is decorated with the shattered remains of his immense granite sarcophagus. He was the fifth king in the 20th dynasty, and he obtained rulership by usurping it from his nephew, Ramses V. The tomb of Thutmose III is unique in that its ceiling is spangled in stars and the walls are covered with 741 deities. I didn't know there were so many gods. <laughs> Neither did I. Oof. Seti I's tomb is the most elaborate tomb. His sarcophagus was made from alabaster and was brought to England by Giovanni Belzoni. Again, what's looting? Other nobles ranging from princes to wealthy citizens were also buried in the valley. So you didn't necessarily have to be a pharaoh to be buried here, even though they call it the Valley of the Kings. The air about the Valley of the Kings seems charged with the supernatural. Have the ghosts of former pharaohs led to the discovery of the tombs located here? The Egyptians have a saying that, quote, to speak the name of the dead is to make him live again, end quote. There was widespread belief in ghosts in Egypt. The Egyptians believed that humans had a soul and they named it Ku. Ku was depicted as an ibis in hieroglyphs. During the Greek and Roman periods, it was believed the Ku could enter other people's bodies and torture them. The Egyptians later developed a belief in the human having five components. Those components included the heart, shadow, name, ba, and ka. The ba was the soul and the ka was the spirit. I'm not quite sure what the difference between soul and spirit is, but I guess we'll find out. Do you know that many people believe we do have three parts? Body, soul, and spirit? That there are three parts of us. Let me see if I can get this straight. And of course, I just popped some candy in my mouth. Of course, there's the body, which is your body. I believe your spirit is what leaves your body when you die and continues on into the afterlife. Your soul is like your subconscious, your who makes you who you are. So that'd be like the mind, because I've always heard body, mind, and spirit in three ways, but not a soul and a spirit. So they're saying the soul is like the mind. I'm thinking that's probably... Because ah. that's what I think modern day people tend to believe that believe in. Oh, okay, so I always think of soul and dirt. spirit as kind of the same thing. Yeah, but, Th- there's a lot okay. of people who believe they're two separate things. Because one can disengage itself from the body. Okay, cool, makes sense. Death occurs when the ka leaves the body. In the afterlife, the ba and ka come back together and form the ankh, which is similar to the Western ghost. As long as the proper ceremonial rites were practiced, the ankh could reanimate. An ankh could do harm or good. They can even cause nightmares. The curse of King Tut is a well-known legend. Howard Carter was an Egyptologist who was not university educated. He'd been educated at home and gained his expertise in Egyptology through hands-on practical experience he obtained in Egypt. He got a start by drawing pictures of artifacts for archaeologists. He was uh, an artist, so that's what he was mostly trained in. And what happened is a friend of his, I believe it was his father, 
was an Egyptologist and he had a bunch of artifacts. And one day Howard Carter went over there when he was a child and got to see all this stuff. And he thought, wow, is this cool? So that's what got his love started. Carter met Lord Carnarvon in 1907. Lord Carnarvon was an amateur archaeologist and the two men worked together excavating in Thebes. In 1914, the two men applied for a license to excavate in the Valley of the Kings, and they received that license. A big plus for Carter in teaming up with Lord Carnarvon is that the Lord had money and was willing to finance their diggings. World War I slowed the men down, but in 1917, Carter resumed his digging. He was positive that King Tut's tomb was in the area because artifacts with his name had been found here. He searched for five years to no avail. Lord Carnarvon gave him one more year of financing. On November 4, 1922, Carter found the stairs leading into King Tut's tomb. On November 26, Lord Carnarvon accompanied Carter as the tomb was open and they beheld great treasures of gold. And they released the curse. The find was reported to the proper authorities and the press came running. Artifacts were photographed and emptied from the tomb. Things were going smoothly until March of 1923. Lord Carnarvon was bitten by a mosquito. He later nicked the bite with his razor and it became infected. Within three weeks, the Lord was dead. The day he died, the lights in Cairo went out. His dog, who was in England when the Lord died, passed away on the same day as his master. Carter's pet canary was killed by a cobra shortly thereafter. Stories about a curse began at this time and were fueled by the later deaths of 12 people who had been present when the tomb was open. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was one of those people who perpetuated the story about the curse of King Tut. Howard Cotter claimed to see jackals, like the god of the dead Anubis, near the tomb. Jackals had not been seen in this part of the desert in over 35 years. Some believe the deaths were caused by a deadly fungus or that the deaths were just coincidences. Many of the team lived on to an old age, including Carter, so was the tomb of the great pharaoh guarded by a curse? It's a good question. Definitely a lot of people happened to die that were related to it. So it does make one wonder, of course, like they said, a, a lot of it was attributed to maybe a, a mold or a fungus. Um, whenever they opened a sarcophagus, there was a lot of toxins involved in that because you've got all that ammonia and decay and everything else. And it's been sealed in there and you open that up. So that could be why people would get sick anytime they went into these places. And, of course, the stories of these curses began erupting around that. Well, especially back in that time, because I know even just recently with a lot of the people who do ghost investigations or ghost hunting, they're starting to wear more like masks and stuff because many of them have come down sick when they go into the houses as well. So, Well, I if mean, you think about how sick people get just having mold and mildew in their homes. Exactly. And then you think about these places that were sealed for centuries. And really, if, if I was going to haunt somebody, I'd go after those grave robbers. No kidding, because they're the ones who took your treasures. It's a good thing that King Tut's was hidden so well, because it had a lot of its original stuff in it, whereas most of them, they just got the scraps. We're going to talk about one of my most favorite people now. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> she haunts you in your dreams. Uh, I, I really am into the woo-woo stuff, you know, so... Shirley MacLaine. Some of you may have heard about this uh, recent story from uh, 2012, but Shirley MacLaine played a guest role on Downton Abbey in 2012. That's a really good show. I enjoy it. I, I got to watch like season three, started season four, and then I got lost. And so I need to eventually just either buy or rent the whole series and just watch the whole thing. But it's very well written. 
Anyway, for some reason, they decided that she should be on there for a guest role. So she was in 2012, and she claimed the home where the show is filmed is haunted. And not just by any ghost, by King Tut. The home belongs to Lord Carnivon's family. McLean claims the tomb of King Tut was once stored in the basement of the home. She also claims King Tut spooked her while on set. But then McLean says a lot of things. At there is a possibility. There I mean, is it, a, a link there with Lord Carnivon. You know? And the cool thing about this story is I had no idea that Downton Abbey is filmed in the family of Lord Carnivon. It's their castle. So I thought, well, that's kind of a cool little fun fact, if nothing else, whether King Tut haunts the place or not. I was like, oh, I had no idea that that location relates back to Egypt. Right, yeah, because who would have ever thought, you know, that... And they would have been bringing artifacts back to that place. So where would you, if you couldn't get it into the museum right away, good place to keep it would be. And who knows, maybe they wanted to show it off. So it's possible maybe it was there. Well, and as we've seen on several of the tours we've gone on, there's a lot of people who believe objects can be haunted. So so it might not necessarily be King Tut, but that hauntings came with those objects when they brought them into the home. Good point. Good point. Something infusing an object. And Shirley gets a little bit into the UFO type stuff. So who knows? Maybe she was seeing something that was masquerading as a pharaoh, particularly King Tut. Yeah, Steve Martin. <laughs> right? King Tut. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I won't sing for you all because that would be cursed. <laughs> it would be scary. One haunting tale is about a chariot that travels through the Valley of the Kings. When the clock hits midnight, the apparition of a pharaoh wearing a golden collar and a headdress is seen riding aboard a chariot that is pulled by black phantom horses. Yeah, that'd be enough for me, thanks. Don't need to see that. Mm-mm. Especially if they look like that horse at Denver International Air- Airport. Oh, I know we've mentioned him eyes. before on this show, but he just is creepy. The pharaoh, Akhenaten, is rumored to have been cursed by the priests of his time because, as we mentioned a little earlier, he abolished the worship of the Egyptian gods during his rule and switched everything over to his way of doing things. The curse has forced him to wander the desert of the Valley of the Kings through the afterlife. Many people have witnessed his apparition wandering. And I believe, I think it was the show Destination Truth with Josh Gates went out to the Valley of the Kings. And they did go into one of the tombs. I can't remember. I think it might have been King Tut's. And they did a lockdown overnight. And that place looks kind of creepy when you're out there with night vision goggles and stuff. And they had some sounds and noises and things moving around and going bang. Uh, And I think there might have even been an apparition they might have caught on film. So who knows what's going on around there. I mean, they definitely had a belief that they could reanimate. So it wouldn't be strange if they had. Exactly. Or who knows what portals they've opened up or what spirits they've tempted. Do the ghosts of the pharaoh still continue to roam the Valley of the Kings? Have they led the mortal in finding their lost tombs? Does the opening of the tombs release ghosts and curses? Is the Valley of the Kings haunted? That is for you to decide. Yeah, so we didn't have a whole lot of information about sightings, but I think part of the problem that you run into here is that there is so much tourism there and it's so crowded that it would be hard to pick up on the little subtleties that sometimes make up hauntings. And there's not people on location at night a lot if you're going to have more of that stuff going on in the evening. So there's not a whole lot of stories out there of hauntings going on. 
Um, this is what we were kind of able to pull out about it. So I hope that we did Egypt and the hauntings there some justice. We might cover some other areas there in the future. If we can find some other haunted locations there, I'm sure they've got plenty. It's an old country. Very old country. And for our next venture, we're going to be doing something that's across the country from us, but very close to our hearts. And known as the happiest place on earth. But it could possibly be the most haunted place on earth. (laughs) (laughs) Disneyland. Yeah, so we're going to be doing Haunted Disneyland. That was suggested to us by Julie on the next show. So we hope you can join us for that. We greatly appreciate you joining us for this one. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.